0: Broadcasting from the Third Coast and recorded live at Tripod South Studios, this is The Hango Show. What's up, man?
1: What's
0: going on? I know. Can you hear me all right? Yeah, pretty good. Mm-hmm. You out living the dream this this afternoon?
1: Yeah, um uh, living the dream Sitting in a Walmart parking lot in my truck. <laughs>
0: Yeah, dream like, right there, right? That's great. What? what yeah, that's um, like every white man's dreams, just to live his life in a Walmart parking lot, for sure.
1: Yeah, you know, you can camp in a Walmart parking lot, and it's perfectly fine. It's true. Um, uh, yeah, something. Uh, Sam Walden, like, I, the, well, allegedly, Sam Walden was like, I care about homeless people and truckers. Um, so I guess it was most of the truckers thing, which is kind of cool, but. Yeah, if a trucker needs to, needs to sleep, you pull over in a Walmart parking lot and then sleep, no problem. That's right. So, well, they have plenty of parking for sure. Uh, but i yeah, I'm not I'm not living in the Walmart parking lot. Um, just so everyone knows. Yeah, uh, I I left to run some errands a couple hours ago, and um, uh, the electric electric company was doing um, working on all the power lines in the neighborhood. And uh, I could barely squeeze through where their trucks were um, to get out. And then, like, 30 minutes ago, I tried to get back in, and they had part of it blocked off because they're working on um, uh, power lines. Damn. So, yeah.
0: So you've been relegated yeah, to so a little parking well, I, guess lot. I, guess I
1: guess I'll go down the street and uh, sit in the Walmart parking lot.
0: Sure. So, we'll, we'll do this show anywhere, as long as I can get you on here.
1: Yeah, well, we're doing it. <laughs>
0: everybody, welcome to the first episode of uh, Hango and the Wizard in the afternoon for your your afternoon drive time. I'm your host, Hango Wood, and of course, I have uh, the Suburban Wizard himself, Matt Hume on here with me. How you doing, Matt? Uh,
1: Pretty good, sitting here in the the afternoon watching traffic, watching what's going on. (laughs) Traffic, traffic, Uh, traffic. Weather and traffic on the 15th, (laughs) here with Hango and the Wizard.
0: That's it. Got to watch out there on uh, what's the interstate there? I seventy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to watch out for the you got mattress mattress in the lanes there on I seventy northbound so or westbound. <laughs> so be careful, <laughs> mattress in the lanes, mattress in the lanes.
1: Yeah, that's an everyday occurrence, isn't it? R-70.
0: Apparently, it is. It's in L A. You listen to like old L A. like traffic reports of mattress in lanes, car broke down. It's I, I don't know how anybody could live in an area like L A. or New York or Boston just major transportation hubs like that, the traffic would just drive me up yeah. the wall. Uh,
1: the only experience I've ever had with that, because I've never driven in LA um, or New York, I've never been to New York, um, but is Atlanta. Getting into and out of downtown Atlanta on the freeways, from what I remember as a kid, because we had, you know, I had family that lived uh, just south of Atlanta, and you'd, you'd, you'd have to spend, you know, it's a 12-hour drive. The last two hours is sitting 30 minutes outside of Atlanta and, you know, in the middle of the afternoon trying to just get through. Uh, yeah, it was, it, it's it's crazy.
0: It's needless. It's just, uh, well, number one, Atlanta has become famous just for sprawl. It's, like, one of the worst planned cities yeah. ever in the history of ever. Um a few years back, a friend of mine was getting married to a girl who lived in Alpharetta, and they invited me and Tink up for the wedding. And so we're going there, and this is before we had GPS and the Jeep Wrangler I had at the time. And so getting there was no problem. This is all interstate all the way to Atlanta. When we got into Atlanta, yeah. I told Tink like, get, get the MapQuest pages out and start reading me instructions, you know, because a lot of those a lot of those exits. We're just one on top of another. You, you get on one part of the interstate, and you have to get off onto a onto a, a, a roundabout or, or, or a cloverleaf or whatever, and you have to be Johnny on the spot when you're going through Atlanta to make all those exits.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, I mean, the guy who, well, one of the guys who planned all that. I, did you hear about this? The guy who's um was the president of their their transit authority who uh, jumped in front of a train last week. <laughs> no. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. No, the guy who's in, in, in charge of like their, um, I guess their, their subway right system. Um, yeah. Jumped in front of a train and killed himself like three or four days ago. Uh, I have no reason why. No one knows why. Just there's like 50 year old guy had been working for them for uh, 25 years had. Just three years ago, it had been made the uh, the president of the whole company was running transit for Atlanta, and just jumped in front of a train.
0: It finally got to him. Yeah.
1: Highly suspect.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds pretty weird for sure. Um, yeah, now, I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to talk to you, so I got like a few points here to hit on. Uh, All right. How's things in the kitchen going? I know it's been a like everybody else has been a pain in the ass.
1: Yeah, so restaurants right now are uh have I think we were coming out of uh of the labor the labor shortage that we had. It was uh quite intense, just could not hire anybody. Um just kept, you know, uh, going up and up and up as far as what we started people at. Um hired three people last month. Um two of them quit. One uh just stop showing up, and then the other guy, who I hired as a sous chef, great pedigree, good background, um, good references. Um, yeah, Thursday this past week, he called me at eight in the morning. He's like, I, "I'm not. I can't come in. I'm not, I'm done. I can't work here anymore due to personal reasons." <laughs> so yeah, the the ride never ends with that, but the kitchen's it's it's going good. Um, you know, I'm still today's still my only day off, but, uh, you know, I, I think they are getting, getting better. Um, wages have definitely gone up, which is a good thing for uh, people yes. who work in this industry. And it's been something that restaurant owners and restaurant tours have had to really face the music. You can't pay somebody $12 an hour to do a shitty job anymore. You know, um, I'm hiring people at like 18 now. Yeah, So, which, Which is good.
0: It, it's great, it's especially for your need to make a living too. It's great for your area, especially a, a, a bigger, more populated yeah. area. People need to make more money because housing costs aren't cheap. You know, um, no. Here, you know, kitchen help can can get by, can get by maybe fifteen bucks an hour, twelve bucks an hour, depending depending if they get tip share as well or whatnot. Um, yeah, in a mm-hmm. big in a big city, and kitchen help needs to be getting paid. Because even a, a one-room apartment is yeah. not cheap.
1: Uh, dude, I, um, a couple months ago, um, before I re-signed my lease, I was looking for, because uh, you know, I rent a house, I was looking for, I was thinking about downsizing. I was like, that's eh, a, a lot of work in the house. is a lot of work. It's an older house. And so uh, I was looking at apartments. And, you know, I'm paying $1,000 a month to rent the house, a three-bedroom house, with you know finished basement, you know the nice yard. Not not not. A, it's a small house, but it's you know it's a de- decent decent little house. And uh, to get a one bedroom, seven hundred fifty square foot apartment, is twelve hundred bucks a month. Holy shit! It's no. more than I have now to downsize. Right in this area,
0: you know that's crazy. I know when me and, you know, and that, when me and Tink got married. Uh we had an apartment and I think it was like maybe four fifty a month, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it included all they included was the it included the water and trash. Um but we had no wash they had no washer and dryer hookups. We, we had we had a laundromat on site. And then we moved to another like townhouse style apartment. It was two bedroom with and it came with a washer and dryer. It was five fifty a month, and then she was like, "I think I found another apartment I like better." A couple of years later, it's like, "Look, if we're going to do this, just buy a house and and be done yeah. with it." You know, instead of hopscotching every two years to yeah. another apartment. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying for sure.
1: Yeah, my first apartment was four hundred bucks a month, everything included. So the only thing I was paying extra for was internet. And uh, which the apartment when I moved in, they had to come out and like put in, like they had to put in the all the power lines and stuff for internet because no one else in the apartment had Wi Fi, right? You know, or not Wi Fi at that time; it was you know dial up yeah, internet, internet. But no one in, the, in no one in the apartment building had ever had internet before, and in, was it 2001? Yeah, 2001. But four hundred bucks for everything, and now you know it's triple that. Which you know it's twenty years later, right? I guess. But
0: well, I'm glad things but, yeah. are kind of straightening Haring out for it. you for sure. I mean, because no, I was gonna say I'm glad things are straightening out for you. Um, I know here for the last probably what year now almost. It's been a struggle at, at, at the restaurant for sure. With, with help, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, it has. Um and, uh, you know, the, the, one of the things that is it is is the, I think the people who uh, who are in restaurants long-term or, you know, as a career, not just as a job, they're sticking around, but they are demanding higher wages, you know. Uh, the guy I hired last month, he's like 32, 33, paying him 18 an hour, and he's one of those, you know, lifer, line cooks, great skills, probably going to make him my sous chef if, if things keep going the way they're going with him. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's not going anywhere. He's still looking for, you know, stuff and jobs in the restaurant industry. He just wants to get paid more, right? you know? And he's, right. he's demanding he gets paid more and he, he can do that. Um, and so what you have are the people who would, you know, they don't care what the job is as long as it's an easy job that they don't have to put, you know, a whole lot of investment to um, or investment in themselves to then make themselves, you know, as far as education and stuff like that goes. Um, So whether it's a restaurant or Walmart or Uber or door dashing, you know, they they just don't care. So those people have fallen away. Right. And maybe that's a good thing. Um, You don't have the the depth, you know, you don't have a stack of um, applications anymore but I actually do have an interview tomorrow, and then I got forwarded another um, uh, application for a sous chef today. I need to contact. So it's it's slowly people the personnel is coming back. It just it's taking um, it just took a t- long time, and I I can't for the life of me like put my finger on exactly what it was that kept people away from wanting to work in restaurants for a, a solid year. I don't know what it is. Whether that was i thinking it had to be, you know, vaccine mandates because there are some places where they won't hire you unless, you know, you have a vaccine. Um, and that's all in, like, downtown St. Louis area, you know, not where employers can get away with that. But And then, of course, you know, there's a lot of restaurants still. Everybody has to wear a mask all the time, no matter what, which is kind of crazy, but at least in my opinion. Yep.
0: I I think you hit on it uh, when you were talking. On give that some thought one night about how you are seeing a lot of people who would who would come and work for you for a while, and then also they'd be gone, and they either went to DoorDash, they went to Grubhub, they went to Uber Eats, because like you said, I think your quote was, "Yeah, I can pay them fifteen bucks an hour to work in this kitchen with me barking at them all night long, or they can sit in their car and make fifteen bucks an hour just sitting in their car." So which which one yeah. would you rather have? But when, mm-hmm. he, but when that and, person's in the kitchen with you on that line, they're learning. They're getting a skill. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's going to be the, big, the that's the big difference between the two people. Do you want to be a robot for the machine just to go pick up food, deliver food, pick up food, deliver food, or do you want to get in there and learn an actual skill?
1: Yeah, and that's what I meant by when when I said a couple minutes ago about people who want to, you know. Advance themselves, or and and learn, and you know, um, because it is when you're in there, you know, uh, doing what what we do. At least you know it's, it's way above you know a McDonald's. You're not just you know a mindless automaton. Like I tell all my people like you're the chef of your station, so you know, figure it out. If you can't figure it out, come to me. Um, if you don't know, come to me. But you know, I expect you to to learn and to. Um, be in charge of your station, you know. So it's uh, it's something that you know. Once somebody's worked a little bit for me, and this has happened with multiple people that people that I can I can think of over the years that worked at the rack house with me is uh, eventually you know they can move on to, to something else, something bigger and better. You know they have the opportunity, and I can think of three or four guys just off the top of my head who are doing that. You know, ones working at um, one's a sous chef at one of the one of the cooler places here in St. Louis that is doing some really really interesting stuff, um, you know, it's it's a marketable skill that I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. Um, as long as robots can't taste, um, <laughs> at least it's very true. Um, once we yeah, once we get a robot that has like the palate of Thomas Keller, then we might be fucked. <laughs> but until then. Oh man! Un, 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 until then, we're we're pretty much safe, right? Um, yeah, so that's pretty good. But there is a push for automation in restaurants. You know, Flippy right. was a thing like a year ago. The, this this uh, this robot arm can make an entire burger. Well, that's just great for Flippy, the <laughs> you know the robot arm that flips the hamburgers. But who put all the prep there? for the flippy arm to pick up and make it to a hamburger. You know what I mean? Right. Like some, some human had to be there to provide, um, the, the means for this PR stunt for this robot arm to make a hamburger. I don't
0: know. Now I get it. Um, uh, that's something that, that harpoon, you know, told us when I worked for him, you know, we're not doing some kind of highbrow food when I work for him. It's, it's, yeah. it's pizza, it's wings, it's salads, it's subs a traditional American, Italian place, you know, not nothing fancy. Um and and we were make we were, we were making pizzas one night. We had a new guy there and Harpoon said, Look, man, he said, You've got to learn how to do this. He said, Any one of if we closed shop tonight went to work for McDonald's, they'd have us making the best Big Mac within an hour. It takes about that long to learn how to make the best Big Mac in the world. In a kitchen, mm-hmm. you've got to learn the skill, whether it be making the pizza, uh, slapping out the dough, running that brick oven. It's, there's a skill behind that, and not everybody can, not everybody is I don't know, nobody has, some, some people don't have the base to learn that skill. and I'm sure you see it a lot, a lot of times in the kitchen too.
1: Yeah, definitely. You have, there's the self-starter, you know, the guy who's going to come in and he wants to learn. And then there's the person who just, you know, they they, they really want to be the, the automaton. They want to just, okay, I have to punch, you know, I have to check these boxes for, you know, every sandwich I make or every salad I make or whatnot. And as long as I check those boxes, it's cool. But, you know, if I don't have croutons, I'm like, oh, I'll just, I'll just leave them off. <laughs> well, no. The self-starter was like, okay, I know how to make the croutons, so I'll make the croutons. But the automaton, they unless you tell them, hey, make croutons, they're just not going to make it. Right, they're just not going to do what they know to do, and just assume that you know it's okay. So there's a there's a big difference between the people who you can tell want it and want to work and want to uh, put it in a in their best effort. Um, I, I liken it to the person who's going to spit in your food versus the person who isn't. Um, The person who's going to spit in your food has no respect for you, their job or themselves in my opinion, because if you know, it's not about, Oh, I'm going to get back at some jerk customer, but no, am I going to do the best I can on every dish? Am I going to make it right? Because it's not about, it's not about, um. The the end enjoyment of the customer really really liking their their dish, or not always. It's about do I have the integrity personally to do my best and to put out a product I'm proud of. For sure. And if I'm putting out something I'm proud of, the guest is going to enjoy it. Very true. You know. Um. But if I, if I can't say I'm proud of the job I'm doing at the end of the day and that I did it to my best and I did it with integrity, then why am I doing that job? Why not go do something else? You know? Yeah. Because you're only cheating yourself.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right. So there's been a lot. I know you said that you got the new menu made up for this season and you're not happy with it. The the question I'm the, not okay. The question for you is: Is it because of the supply chain shortage stuff, or you just you just really wasn't happy with what you had?
1: No, it was. You know, I was I wasn't happy with. Um, it was it was because of employment issues. Oh. so two and a half it was a month and a half ago when we came out with the new menu, uh, for winter. I had to not cut corners, but I had to oversimplify things. Yeah, Make it so I could run what would normally be a three-cook line with just two cooks. Um, and I had to dial back on a lot of uh, like elevated things we do. Like I took the duck dish off the menu, which is the first time in probably four years we haven't had duck on our menu. Um, just because it's... Um, it's a complicated thing it's not a complicated thing but it's a it's a very technical thing to cook um to pan sear and then roast a duck breast in like you know a 12 minute 10 minute 12 minute period um you gotta have to babysit it you have to watch it um a lot so it's it's not easy um so yeah it, it's just not uh, as good as the menus that the rack house has put out in the past and it's Overly simplified. It's small, which isn't a bad thing. But when you know, ten to twelve entrees is what you want to be at, um, and we're at like eight right now. Yeah. And I had to, I had to just overly simplify things, um, and and really built uh, the menu for speed and not for variety and um, just. I, I don't think it's interesting. It's it's flat. It's it's kind of basic for what we do, you know. And it's not – it's something I had to make peace with because it's not what I want, you know. Um, but it's something we needed to do because ultimately at the end of the day, I have to make money. Yeah. And if I have a menu that three people can't execute on a Friday and Saturday night – you know, if we can only do 60 people where we would normally do 150 people because the menu I, I refuse to adapt and change, um, then we're not making money and I'm not gonna have a job for very long. So that's one of the things that um, that is challenging about working in a restaurant, about being a chef or a restaurateur is that you really have to adapt to the market. And that's true in a, a lot of professions. Um, but over COVID um, there's so much like every, it seems like every other month we're have to change how we approach um, normal everyday business because things just um, are wildly different, you know, from month to month sometimes. Uh, And it's, it's not, uh, you know, I I don't think it like it's a, a blow to my integrity as a chef. You know is my creativity. First off, I'm not that pretentious. <laughs> I, uh, I don't <laughs> I don't consider myself to be a particularly talented chef, but I know what I know and I know how to execute what I know. And um, as long as you can do make things taste right and taste good and have the plate look appealing, then people are gonna think that you're the greatest chef in the world, you know. Um, and as long as you execute those things correctly um, it, but it's just you know I I know things and I know how I'd rather be doing them and we're not quite doing it that way but you know once we get staffed up once we get everybody back in their places um, you know I uh, will be changing things back the way they were um, a year or so ago and Maybe I'll be happy with it. I'll be happy one day. Maybe. I don't
0: know. (laughs) Fingers crossed. I'm also that
1: guy, like... Yeah, but see, I'm also that kind of in the kitchen, and I I never thought I would be this type of person. And I think maybe it's the job and the love for the job, the love-hate relationship I have with the job, that has molded me into it. But, like, I'm never 100% satisfied with any dish. And... Yeah, I will have, uh, every time I do a new dish, I always make a mock-up of it, like, and then give it to the servers, show, you know, all the front-of-house staff, okay, here's what the dish is, here's what the components are, here's how to sell it, here's how to talk about it, and it seems like every time, you know, I come out with one and they they really, really like it, I'm always like, oh, thanks, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm not super happy with it, but here it is, and some be like, what, no, it's, they'll say, what, no, it's great, I love it. Well, oh, okay, yeah, no, it's it's good, and I like it, but I can also see angles of how it can be better. And that constantly never being quite, I don't want to use the word satisfied, but just always thinking you could do more, do, do, do it better, you know what I mean? Like every dish you put out is like a practice run for the next dish, and that's a practice run for the next dish. And maybe one day you'll you create the perfect dish and you'll be happy, and then you probably get hit by a bus the next day,
0: <laughs> or jump in front of a train. Um,
1: that's... Or jump in front of a train, right. you know? maybe that maybe that's why what what happened. Like he he finally fixed the traffic situation in Atlanta, and he was like, "Well, for one day we had perfect traffic. Guess I'll
0: die." <laughs> no, I, what you're saying mean, you're saying that you're always striving for, for perfection. And, and that's, that's really what we, we need to be doing, I think, as humankind, try to be the best Hango or be the best Matt or be the best whoever we can be at all times. But running, running at peak performance all the time will kill us. That will, that will shut our entire life down. (laughs) You know, if, if you're, if you're striving to make the perfect beef Wellington on every damn dish, that will drive you mad, that will drive you insane, but
1: yeah it, I know what will. you're getting and at uh there. yeah, in fact, the last time I did beef wellington's they my um the dough was too warm, um when I was wrapping them, so I was having a hard time wrapping them, and they weren't just they were just not coming out looking as pretty as I wanted, and uh. I didn't have any other dough. It was I was down to my last uh, my last couple sheets of puff pastry. It's so like, well, this is gonna have to work, and I'm gonna have to be okay with with it. You know, going out, not looking pretty, but
0: whatever. Now, the reason I asked about the uh, the menu is because I lurk on um, our Kitchen Confidential, and I've been uh-huh. seeing a lot of a lot of uh, chefs. I've seen a lot of kitchen. Uh, workers, line cooks, just having to deal with the absolute shit show that is a supply chain now. Uh I know one, yeah. one chef said he ordered, he said, look at this shit. He ordered 150 pounds of halibut, and they sent him one 152-pound halibut. Just one gigantic halibut is all they sent him. He's like, what am I supposed to do with this? And I've I've saw a lot of people saying that that the suppliers are pretty much filling the orders if they find anything in their stock with a correlating word. One lady said she she had ordered some celery, and they sent her a huge box of celery seed. And mm. she, you know, so I don't know if you if you'd run into anything like that before or not, but I was just blown away by by some some of they were what they were getting.
1: I, I have run into a few things like, um, old Bay seasoning. Right. Right. You're from the South. You're familiar with, I mean, I'm sure there's old Bay at every single house in the Absolutely. South. Absolutely. I can't buy, order old Bay from any of my suppliers. Um, the only place I can find old Bay right now is Walmart. That's it. You can't find it like at, at the local grocery stores. Um, there's a restaurant supply store that I use sometimes if I need to, you know, get bulk stuff on the, on the fly. Can't find it there. Um, yeah, the only place I know. So like every other week I have to go buy, you know, go to Walmart and buy these little, little canisters of Old Bay. Um, where normally, you know, I'd get a, Wait, you you know, a half gallon container. You're using of like Old the Bay. little
0: like home the we have here at the yeah. house. Oh my
1: God, dude. hmm. Yeah. And I go through a lot of old day. Um, but yeah, that was an issue. Um, seafood I can still get, but the prices the prices on seafood are insane, right. It's super insane. Um, I had to uh, ordered hundred and fifty uh, pounds of scallops for New Year's Eve. Um, eight hundred dollars worth of these bay scallops frozen tiny little frozen base scallops. Um, because the big, the nice big fat scallops are super, super expensive. Um, and I, I, went through maybe 20 pounds of scallops on New Year's Eve. So I'm now sitting on a bunch of scallops in my freezer and it's my fault. I ordered too much, but, um, yeah, seafood prices are insane right now. Um, and I'm not sure it's been that way for, for two years. um, I think that's, you don't just, just the world we live in, um, places being overfished and underfished and regulations, regulations in the seafood industry, um, are needed, but also there's a lot of environmental hippies who get involved where, you know, waters who have been fished responsibly for generations and then they get involved and say, oh, this one tiny little clam, um, their population has gone down, steadily decreased over the past five years, so we have to shut down, you know, being overfished. Well, yeah, but also no, because, um, you know, you have fluctuations in populations all the time when it comes to, you know, wildlife and fish and stuff like that. You know, you'll have a five-year low where, you know, these clams don't reproduce because you have a, uh, a five-year trend of colder water
0: right.
1: coming through there, and they don't reproduce as much in colder water. But then you'll have a warming cycle, and then they'll go crazy, you know. And uh, these these regulatory in- industries don't always account for that. So I think that's one of the reasons why seafood prices are the way they are.
0: Well, night a- I'm sorry. Then you talked one night about the price of crawfish. I told you it's almost three bucks a pound here. And I said, I've never in my life uh-huh. ever seen crawfish at $3 a pound. That's just, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I am not know if yeah. you're familiar with like uh, the, the, the show Deadliest Catch, with like the crab fishermen up in Alaska and whatnot. Um, yeah, yeah. They have, you know, when, when the show first started, it was the way it had been for forever up there. When, season, when the season started, it was a rally. And you went out and you caught as much as you could until it's, until they said no more. Well, now Mm -hmm. these fishermen pretty much have to like pledge allegiance to a, to a fishery. And then they get part of a quota and they can't go over that quota or it's big time fines from the EPA and from Alaska fishing game. And it's, it's made the fishermen less important and the corporation more important. Where before the fisherman was everything. And if that fisher if that captain of yeah. that boat doesn't get a quota, they don't make money that year. They're shut down. Yeah. And that's a place that the wow. the government should be should be putting their hands there. They should be left alone. Let those guys do the same thing they've been doing yeah. for year for centuries. They've been fishing those waters forever without any kind of interference and everything's been fine.
1: Yeah, well, you know, some some person with a college degree in marine biology uh, <laughs> knows different than the third generation fishermen, you know, who grew up who grew up in those waters, you know, and who knows the cycles because that is that's something that uh, just because you have so much of the seafood industry that's wild-caught as opposed to the beef industry, the pork industry, that's almost all, all you know, none of that's wild-caught, you know? Right. Um, it's all factory farms and, and a small percentage of, you know, pasture-raised uh, animals. But there are cycles of of plenty and lean when it comes to fish. Like I was saying, but, you know, there's a cold-water trend, you know and that ha- pops up for a couple years every decade, and the fish don't spawn uh, as well in cold water as they do in the warmer water, and just that can just be a couple degrees difference. Um, and then you'll have these you know boom and bust cycles, but that happens, and it's part of nature. You know, I like to uh, I like that one um, GIF of the, the Earth cycling in about like a four second interval of the seasons you know and of how the earth changes you know and it seems you know ice expands and then retracts and and green um retracts and then expands and it li- literally looks like the earth is breathing you know in and out because that's what the earth does and it's on cycles of yearly you know a decade every hundred years where you know we we you don't see and really understand these long-term trends of sustainability in uh, agriculture and in in uh, fish and wildlife, unless you've really lived in it for generations. You know, I don't even I don't understand, you know, um, a lot of it. But once you've been in there for generations, and you you know your family, you know, you grew up doing that. Your dad did that. You you know you you know you've been doing it for twenty years you know, you know, you, you just, you, you know, things that people who are just new to the industry or from the outside looking in have no clue. Um, the same thing applies to, you know, to my job as as a chef. There's just, you'll have, I, I had a vendor actually text me today. He's like, Hey, how's those little lamb T bones that I dropped off a sample of for you the other day? How do you like those? I was like, "It's not a bad product, but for six dollars a pop for four ounces of lamb <laughs> t-bone, I, I can't no. can't sell that." Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna have to. sell. it's gonna be a thirty-dollar plate, right? And with four ounces, of, you know, Ugh. three bites of lamb. Yeah, that ain't gonna and, fly for most people. It's literally, it's literally, it looks like a t-bone, and it's four inches long, and it's from lamb, and uh, you know. of that mass 40% of the weight is bone. Right. You know, and it's just not going to work. And you know, he's a food rep and he knows food, but he doesn't know like the end product pricing out, you know, plates and stuff like that as much as I do. And I'm like, I see that product and I'm like, yeah, cool sample, you know, nice concept, but not something I can use. Um, which happens with vendors all the time. You get these people; they they'll come in and they'll be like, "We got this hot new product. We're gonna we're we'll trying to sell." And oh man, all the money you could make if you just you know did this. It's like I only I, I know you're only bringing that sample because your company gave you five cases and said spread this amount around all your accounts because it's a new product that we're just investing in. You know. Yeah. And if you sell the most, then you're gonna get a new washing machine or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit they do. <laughs>
0: um, I, I, I do have a uh, a question for you. What what culinary heel are you willing to die on? What's something that you, when it comes to, to food, that you will not break away from no matter what? Whether it be an ingredient, whether it be a certain dish that's just a banger that you'll always depend on, or if it's a hot take on something that you use that no one else likes. Anything jump out at you?
1: Nutmeg. Like it or, or hate it? Almost hate it. Okay. Hate it. Almost every recipe that, I, uh, that calls for nutmeg, I substitute with uh, cinnamon and clove. Good, yeah. Uh, I do not like, nut, like nutmeg. i um, trying to think of anything else.
0: See, my mom loves nutmeg. I can take it or leave it, yeah, but, but she but she believes in, and 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 no no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, it's not nutmeg, paprika, she will paprika the shit out oh. of everything, and I'm like, yeah, it's okay, you know, but she believes in it,
1: yeah, um, I like paprika i, I or paprika <laughs> I had this cook who, I had this cook one time who always was called it paprika, and I'm like. Okay, well, that's an, I'd make make fun of her for it, um, but yeah, paprika. Um, you know what? I don't know. As as far as like, I'll tell you what. One thing that I don't like that we used to do all the time at the rack house. I don't personally like it, and um, there are very few people that do. Our, the, the chef I used to work for, absolutely love it, but um, sweetbreads, um, kidneys, livers, lymphatic systems, brains, that kind of thing.
0: You're speaking my love the language now.
1: Kidney and liver. <laughs> he would always want to do something with kidney and liver all the time, and uh, I just, I, I do not like him <laughs> at all. Uh but he would do these pâtés with, like, liver pâtés, um, you know. Uh, I remember one time he did a uh, a liver and kidney head cheese. Mm-hmm. With saved up a bunch of duck livers and stuff like that, and then just did um, a head cheese out of them. It was interesting, but you're only getting about 5% of your audience who are actually going to enjoy it.
0: Yeah. You know. See, I I grew up eating like uh like chicken livers and, and sauce and stuff like that. So it was you know, I'm I'm accustomed to it. But for the yeah. average diner who comes in to the rack house, if you say, you know, our special tonight is is uh calf liver with onions and mushrooms, they're gonna be like, mm, that's a hard pass. How many of those are you gonna sell?
1: Yeah. 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 Very I- few. Um I got a, a regular Some regulars who've been coming in for several years a couple times a month they love what we do and they're they're very very nice older couple very sweet um they're the type that you know gives everybody in the restaurant a gift card at um or a card at christmas with some money in it with some cash in it like we'll spend like just a thousand dollars worth you know, giving a little bonus to the dishwasher and the bussers and, you know, the kitchen staff every year. And anytime, time, I always save my duck livers to do something for them. Um, I'll do like a, like a duck foie gras I did one time for them with apple and cabbage that they really, really enjoyed. Um, so that, that's kind of what I'll do because I know that they really like that kind of stuff. And I'll be like, hey, I'm doing this dish because I see they have a re- reservation for tomorrow night, and it's just for them, and I, I, I tailor it just for them, and they absolutely love it. And I'll say, oh, okay, I have this on hand for anybody else who wants to order it, but I know I'm not going to sell any more of them, you know, it's especially in the St. Louis area. People don't understand. I mean, I get liver and onions and and kidney and, and all the other stuff, the sweetbreads that people enjoy. Um but just this area of the country, it does not fly right at all.
0: Now most most of like our local steakhouses here, they have uh, at least fried chicken livers on the menu, and they'll all. Some of them also have like a calf liver or something, beef liver. Yeah, but it's yeah. it's a hot commodity I mean, right here. Don't get
1: me wrong. If if it was in this area and it was like a southern style restaurant rather than like the French bistro how we are I absolutely would have chicken livers on the menu I don't think you can you can get away um, you know with uh, with doing that kind of a restaurant like there's a um, a restaurant kind of famous around here for a while called Hatfield and McCoy's and they specialized in I mean it was it was southern cuisine is what they did and they had liver and onions and fried chicken livers uh, on the menu, you know, all the time. And people would people would eat it, but, you know, they're going there f- specifically for, you know, their, ch- their chicken livers and their dry-ass,
0: not-sweet cornbread. <laughs> you know? How dare you. Um, you need to put sugar in the cornbread. No, you don't. That's my culinary hill I'm going to dial. Sugar does not go in cornbread. Um. Okay, this, <laughs> this is – I'm, I'm gonna, trying to think of any other – Any other things that I would, like,
1: it's not necessarily, like, an ingredient or anything, but one of the things that I, it's a huge pet peeve of mine, is dirty cutting boards or cluttered cutting board. If you're doing something on a cutting board, there should only be that thing on the cutting board you're doing and then clear it off, you know. Uh, I'm constantly coming behind cooks sometimes and just, you know, or I, I, I do this a lot where I'm showing somebody how to do a dish that they've never done before, and I'll say, okay, step one. What's step one? And they'll be like, oh, I, I don't know. I'm like, clean off your fucking cutting board. <laughs> Get everything off the cutting board except your knife and a towel. That's always step one. That's step one, every fucking dish.
0: I agree. This is, this is just a, uh, a sanitary thing, especially if you're cutting, like, poultry. You don't want to have other food there causing yeah. cross-contamination or something. Yeah. All right. Um, I know. Yeah. I know you have a disdain for certain foods, and those tend to be we've we always had like trendy foods. Like a few years ago, it was bacon, and then about uh-huh. three or four years ago, it was avocado, which you hate for some reason. I don't understand. Avocado is a delicious food, and you just take giant <clears throat> shits on avocados. What's your issue no. with avocados?
1: Um. I don't live in, in Mexico or Southern California. So the avocados. <laughs> it's true. The avocados I get in the grocery store, they're always hard, always rock hard. And you have to take them home and you have to let them sit for like three days. And then you have about a four hour window between where you have nice soft avocado and brown goop. So it's, it's, and and that's one of the things that kind of bugs me. Well, we talk about supply chains, but that has bugged me about like supply chains and stuff. Is it's great to have this, um, you know, connected world where I can I can get uh, you know fish from Nova Scotia or Norway and have it you know from the water onto a customer's plate in five days. That's awesome, but there are some things that well, you have to pay attention to what, what is local, what grows local, What what is enjoyed locally, you know. Um, and and something like an avocado is not meant to be consumed outside <laughs> of California and Mexico. It's
0: I like just not. It. I'm sorry. You know? I, I love um, avocados. I'll eat them every damn day if I had a chance. I I'll, I'll love them. But like you said, get you to kind of babysit them and make sure they're at the, the, the peak performance before you tear into them.
1: Yeah, and then uh, my other beef is with avocado. Is the same beef I have with lobster. It's just, what, what does avocado and lobster taste like? It tastes like whatever the fuck you're eating with avocado <laughs> or, lo- or lobster. You know? Like, okay, I'll say avocado, creamy, you know, nutty, rich. But to me, if you put anything with avocado... You get creaminess and rich, richness, but that's it. There's no other distinct flavor that you're getting from the avocado itself. Um, so that's just my that's just my personal beef with it. Is is uh, doesn't have a whole lot of flavor.
0: Um, but doesn't that make it more but, versatile? Know. Doesn't make make it what? Does it not make it more like a more versatile food that you can kind of put it with anything without messing up the flavors?
1: No, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, avocado. You can do a whole lot with avocado, but there's also it. I don't feel like it. It adds anything to a dish other than wow. There's avocado in this. I got you. That's just my you're, person. You're, like,
0: you're just yeah, you're just like you it's know? it's nothing. It's just it's just there.
1: I get it. That being said, one of the dishes that I do. Um, I haven't done it in a while, but one of kind of my signature dish- dishes is um, ahi tuna, cooked medium um, with a sesame seed crust, uh, an avocado puree that I put uh, some sour cream in, so this nice, smooth, rich, silky, gr- lime green puree, um, and then I do pineapple and bacon chutney. Mm-hmm. Um, with some, like, roast tomatoes and stuff to just accent, like, roast cherry tomatoes. Um, and it always sounds like gangbusters. People love it. And it's a good dish, and I, I enjoy doing it. But at the same time, uh, most of the flavor is coming from, you know, it's tuna, so it's, it's delicate. <clears throat> so you don't need, you don't you know, want a whole lot of strong flavors, you know. But at the same time, the pineapple acid helps to, Bring a lot of pop to the tuna itself.
0: And plus the so. tomato in there with it. It's it's a nice little nice little mix of flavors for sure. Is there any other foods you have an issue with that you want to vent on? Yeah. Black people. Oh my god, come on, Matt! I said foods. Foods. <laughs> black people in food, okay.
1: This is recent. This is yesterday morning. We had, um, I had my lead line cook, my main guy from the past year, who's been my number two, was out sick, um, all last week with, uh, COVID. He tested positive on Wednesday. And he was like, listen, my mom made me get a test because I had a fever and I was sick. And she made me get an at-home test and I tested positive. But as soon as I'm feeling better, I want to come back to work because I, I don't want to lose hours. I'm like, okay, man, just let me know. He was feeling better on Saturday. I told him to take Sunday off. So just as a safety. And so it was me, one of my new cooks, and then my my main brunch guy, just three of us. And we had just a banging brunch. He was super busy. We we did almost as much um, sales for brunch as we did that on Sunday morning as we did that Saturday night Damn. for food sales. Yeah. So it was, it was busy and I had a 12 top that was a 60th birthday and they were all black people and they were in right at 11 o'clock. And what I sent out their food and, um, the server kept coming back to the kitchen to be like, Oh, I need a side of this. I need a little bit of that. Just you know, extra condiments and stuff that they were asking for, which is fine, which is fine. Um, but he came back and he was like, hey, do we have any other jelly besides apple butter? Because I always have either apple butter or strawberry jam, our house made, my recipes, on the menu. And then every, occasionally I'll have like, a, well, most of the time I'll have a backup. Usually like in summertime, if extra peaches, I'll make into peach jam and then I'll just have that as just an extra jam for brunch. Same thing with like grape um, jelly. And I had like 15 pounds. Of grapes left over from Mother's Day of last year, I had turned into jam, and I'd been, you know, I had them in cans, and you know, I'd canned them, so they're perfectly good. But the last one got thrown out when we did our deep clean because somebody was like, "Oh well, we hardly ever use this; it's always on my station. Why do I need it?" And they threw it out. Well, this table, when they heard we only had apple butter, they asked the server, "What color is the chef?" Wow. And the chef was like, oh, he's, well, he's, yeah. And he's like, he's white. And they were all like, well, that makes sense. White people don't, you know, they don't know that black people like grape jelly with their breakfast. I didn't know that. I'm
0: like. I like grape jelly all the time anyway. And I'm white, so. What a-
1: grape, grape jelly is fucking amazing. A good grape jelly. Are you kidding me? Um, grape jelly. I like grape jelly in, like, uh, barbecue sauces. Mm-hmm. Like, um. Oh, you know, I mean cocktail wieners, little Smokies, you know, in a crock pot with some barbecue sauce and a uh, a jar of grape jelly, and just let that go slow cook. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, they were all they were all laughing and cutting up because the chef was white and didn't have, you know, only had apple butter, and black folks don't like apple butter.
0: Well, that's a new one for me. I don't know. I got yeah. I I. And I At first, the server
1: came back, and he says, hey, they wanted to know what color the chef is. And I immediately, this was like 10 minutes after they got their food. I immediately like blew up. I'm like, what the fuck? And I didn't know it was about jelly at the time. But I was was basically, I I thought that they were like, oh, this shit doesn't taste good because white people don't know how to spice day food. You know, which, of course, that's the meme. And, uh... And yeah, so I got super, I got super triggered. Hang out, dude. I got, I was, I was high. And then the server, like, he, like, slunk away because he didn't want to be the subject of my wrath. And then, like, 15 minutes later, he comes back and he explained the situation. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess it's not been that bad, but still.
0: <sighs> it's a bold yeah, call, that, man. Shoot. Yeah. Okay. Um, Last here's, thing. The, here's the thing,
1: though. Before we leave that topic, no, go ahead. I in, I enjoy cooking for Black people because, and there's, a, I mean, there's certain things that they like about their food, and culturally, there's certain things that that they do with their food, and I, I, I mean, Black people have given American cuisine so much, you know. Agreed. Um, I mean. Cornbread probably would be a thing if Black people hadn't proliferated it for years and years and years. And cornbread is fantastic when it has enough sugar. No, um, <laughs> but not on my show, buddy. Um, but but I I enjoy the passion and the um, enthusiasm that Black people have about their food, and it for the most part it tastes great, and I enjoy it um but i do not like this this divide I, and a lot of it's just memes on the internet i i know that but this divide in in food and the woke crowd in the past 10 years um talking about cultural appropriation in food motherfucker all food is culturally appropriated Agreed. it's you know you have cultures come together and they swap recipes and they find out oh this they're doing it this way we could do it that way too you know or we could take what they're doing with one protein and apply it to another protein and make something that tastes really really good and and yeah just just the the idea that only certain people can eat certain things or do certain stuff with with food is ridiculous and um, yeah that's why I, I got so triggered because the meme is that you know White people don't spice their food, and it's it's stupid and it's ignorant.
0: It is, you know. Yeah, I grew up with, with a jalapeno pepper in my bottle. You know, we. That's what I was telling uh, telling Addison one time about you know we had like Sunday dinner at Grandma and Grandpa's house. There was always a plate with a sliced tomato, a sliced onion, and a bunch of cayenne pepper that Grandpa grew on, on a plate. Everybody got onion, tomato, and cayenne pepper to eat with their meal. Um, I I never remember, I never remember a time in my life when there wasn't either a hot, some kind of hot sauce that my grandmother had made in the refrigerator or if there was uh, a bag of peppers that the grandpa had cooked. You know, we, we, I grew up on, on extremely hot food, no matter what it may be. So I don't, I don't get, I didn't understand what the people were talking about, how white folks don't spice their food. I was like, man, that's all we do down here is pour Tony Sashry's into the Jambalaya, or into or into the red beans and rice. You know, everything was always hot growing up.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right. It, no, it's just, <clears throat> it's stupid internet meme.
0: I agree. But you no, know, but you no. Know, Taint grew up with a very bland palate. Their Sunday dinners were were uh, like a pot roast and potatoes, and she didn't like mm-hmm. her family didn't spice a lot of anything. Hot food is not like really her forte. But to me, I'm like. Put it on there. Let's do it. Um, yeah. A big question. For, this is be my last one. Prove to me that birds aren't real. <laughs> All right. And for those who don't know, there is a conspiracy going out that birds are not real. They're either a drone developed by the government, or they're some other worldly being. I just want mm. some proof.
1: Well, here's a, like a lot of conspiracies. You you don't know so much get proof as you do conjecture. Okay, you know, um, birds have came from dinosaurs, you right. know, yeah, and, which are extinct. Um, and ever since Jurassic World came out, or Jurassic Park, the movie came out. We've been dreaming about bringing dinosaurs back to life. Um, you know, I personally, I don't remember ever seeing a bird before Jurassic Park. The movie came out, and I You've think got that was part of the government psyop. Yeah, in order to to reintroduce birds um, as part of their their drone surveillance program. A lot of people say, "Well, you know, I've seen birds before, and they don't seem to be robots." You know how you know? It's it's well known fact that birds can recharge. On power lines point that's how they that's how they propagate and and hold their charge um, there's a lot of scientists who have tested the dried bird poop the white bird poop It's one of the reasons why people don't know this that bird poop goes from brown to white when it dries um, it's actually um, part of the synthetic oil that is uh, secreting out of the bird gotcha um, uh, the oil ev- evaporating and it leaves behind that uh, white alkaline um, uh, byproduct.
0: Yeah. I, I saw somebody say that since COVID started in New York, you had not seen any more pigeons. I'm like, well, there you go. It's all the proof you need. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man, I'll, I'll let you go, man. Thanks so much for spending time with me. I, I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, man, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. We'll have to do it. Uh, we really didn't get into a whole lot of the weird stuff.
0: No, we're going to, um, though. I'm just trying to ease the you back into is, it.
1: <laughs> the world is crazy right now, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of weird stuff we could talk about. So, yeah, we should do this uh, in a couple more weeks. Sure. And uh, definitely, we'll get into the weird stuff. Good deal.
0: Thank you all y'all for listening to this episode of The Hango Show. Be sure to go by tripodbroadcasting.com to check out all the shows in the network, including Give That Some Thought, which Matt's one of the co-hosts. Also, be sure to go by evils.com, E A B L E S, to save 15% on some premium CBD with a promo code HANGO. Also, go by MyDelta8.com. Matt, man, I love you, brother. Thanks for spending the time with me today. I appreciate it.
1: Much love, HANGO, uh, to you and to yours.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Uh, I can't wait till next time we, we get to hang out again, man.
0: For sure. Thank all y'all for listening. I love all y'all. We'll see you next time. Bye.